Uh, well, hello, everyone. It is great to be with you. Uh, again, if we haven't met, my name is Joe. I'm excited. Uh, we've been in this conversation, how do I relate to God, for a few weeks now. And uh, we're going to dive into it again. Uh, it's great. So thanks for being here with us in the room. Thanks for logging in online. And hello, Montrose. It's good to see you from here once more. Uh, but as we continue in this, this has been fun because... This question just seems to be resonating with like every one of us because for those of us that have been walking with Jesus for a while, this question of how do I relate to God kind of still hits us between the eyes because we want to grow closer to God. We want to have a better relationship with him. We want more and more of him. And then there's those of us that maybe we're still exploring this thing and trying to figure it out. And kind of at the core of that question is, well, how do I relate to God? How does this work? What's this all about? And so it's been fun. And whether we're navigating big questions or little ones, a lot of them continue to show us a little bit of a spectrum that sometimes it's mysterious, sometimes it's even difficult, but man, he just always seems to want to meet us right there and invite us into relationship with him. And that's kind of been our landing point with this, is that God is relational, not transactional. He's not just simply trying to say, you better do this so that this can happen, and you better not do this so that this doesn't happen, but instead he's inviting us in and saying, will you connect with me? Can we spend time together? Can you get to know me and show you how much I know you? And so that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and this week, we're going to dive in kind of to the next layer of Jesus' teaching. Uh, he's talked a lot about what it means to ask, to seek, to knock. What does it mean to pray? How do we have that conversation with him? What does it mean to trust him? What does it mean to do things that he values? We've walked in a lot of that. So if you missed that, hit up our website, app, podcast. It's all there. It's been a great conversation. But tonight, this weekend, we really want to dive into this idea of worry, Right? So how does that apply to how we relate to God? So here's kind of where we're going to go this weekend. We're going to start with uh, checking out something that's a little old school. All right? So we're going to kind of go back and actually look at this uh, passage, this account from the Old Testament, and see how that applies to where we're headed. And then we're going to take, check out Jesus' teaching on worry and how he's trying to navigate us through this, especially relationally. And then we're going to take a look at uh, some questions and look at some answers specifically about worry. How does this play out? What can we expect? And then we're going to kind of look at how we can navigate worry when it inevitably comes up. Because we're going to find ourselves worried. We're going to find ourselves anxious about something. And so that's where we're going to head this weekend. Now, if I'm being honest, uh, I've been a little bit worried about this weekend. Um, I know uh, many of us on, well, actually probably all of us on some level deal with worry or we're anxious in certain circumstances or situations. Uh, and the last thing that I want to do is like make this seem like all you got to do is this and all of your worry and anxieties will go away. Or one of the last things I want to do is make it sound like the complications that creep in and make worry difficult or that make anxiety feel a little bit unbearable as if somehow all you got to do is wave a magic God wand and that all just disappears. So just in case you would be nervous about that pathway, that's not where we're going. Or if you hear me say something in general that sounds like that for a minute, I promise you that's not where that's landing as well. And so I just want to kind of put that out there to know that we're going to look at what Jesus has to say, and I think it's going to be encouraging despite the things that kind of tend to weigh us down. 
I had a, uh, the great pleasure uh, this week to actually have a Zoom call with some of our missionaries. Uh, ben and Tanya Falkenberg, uh, they, they're, they're from here. They, they lived in Wadsworth. They actually, uh, at the beginning of the year, moved down to Costa Rica so they could uh, learn to speak it as Spanish a little bit better. Uh, and so they're in language school. They knew very, very little besides a few lessons in Duolingo before getting down there. Uh, they're in language school. They're, they're getting really close to fluent. It's very exciting just eight months later. Uh, but got to catch up with them. And one of the things that they brought up uh, was this passage that had been kind of eating their lunch a little bit. And I thought, God, wouldn't you know it, I felt like that's such a great way to kind of kick things off this weekend. And so we're going to start actually in the book of Daniel, uh, in the book of Daniel chapter 3. So if you want to open up there, you can. We're going to kind of walk through the story uh, a, a little bit of what God is doing. Let me kind of set the scenario for you. So uh, the Israelites, so Israel is the nation of people that God chose to demonstrate himself through in history, right? And so Israel had done a lot of things wrong and a lot lot of things where they kind of rejected God and that invitation to be with him. And they found themselves being conquered and then exiled out of Israel and into a new land. And now they're under the umbrella of the kingship of King Nebuchadnezzar. And that's in the context of where this story happens, where there are these three young men uh, that are going to kind of stand up to the king. But this, this king, maybe it's because his empire was growing. Maybe it's because it seemed like things were going so well. Like he was getting pretty ahead of himself, and he thought, I'm going to build a statue. And whenever the, whenever the horns play, whenever the instruments play, it is your duty to bow down to this statue and pretty much honor and worship me uh, in this scenario. And so uh, that king has kind of got it all going on in his head. Well, these three men, these, these three Israelites, Israelites, uh, they knew that like, well, that's the opposite of what my relationship with God is asking for. God actually has asked me not to bow down uh, to other gods or to bow down to graven images like idols, right? And so we're not going to do that. And when the king figured out, when he heard that these men were not going to bow down to this statue, it enraged him, right? This king was absolutely hopping mad, and so he had the men brought before him, and that's where we'll pick up Daniel 3, verse 15. He says, I'll the king says, I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue from my power? I can't imagine the reality of what these men would have been experiencing. I mean, many of us have rarely been threatened, let alone with something that's like, and you're going to be thrown into the fire to be burnt alive. Like, that is not on the table for many of us. But these men, you got to be thinking about how nervous, I mean, like, I don't want to reach into a campfire and like move a log for a second, right? Like, so the pending reality that I'm about to be thrown into the fire because of my convictions all of these things would be swirling through my head. All of these, like, what's going to happen? How long am I going to be alive? How much pain am I going to feel? Like, how is this going to work? And then, like, man, I kind of had some dreams about the future, and I was kind of hoping this stuff would happen. I guess I'm throwing that out the window. And, man, these are my two best friends. Like, I wish I could do something to kind of, like, maybe I can be the one that gets thrown in, but somehow save them, or maybe, maybe he can go in and the two of us can be saved. Like, you're just, like, thinking through all these scenarios and trying to figure that stuff out, and, like, their hopes and dreams, their lives are about to be over. 
They're afraid of the fire. They can't protect each other. Their future planning is absolutely void. Their families are going to be left behind. But they had a relationship with God. And there was something about their connection with God that made walking through all of those worries, walking through all of those anxieties, and walking into this situation worth it. The three names, they were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they replied, Nebuchadnezzar, king, we do not need to defend ourselves before you, because if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He'll rescue us from your power, your majesty, but this is crazy. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we'll never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. You ever see like your mom make that face? Oh, she's actually mad this time. Like something changes, you know? The king's face became distorted with rage and he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up, they threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. They found themselves in the middle of everything that they would have been worried about or anxious about. How is this going to play out? Is God going to show up? Is he going to like strike the king and the soldiers dead? And we're going to be able to walk away free from this? And ha, we didn't even make it into the furnace. But how is this going to play out? And as they're getting closer and closer, as they're watching the soldiers be killed because they're so close to the furnace. And then it continues. But suddenly... Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Well, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Those three men found themselves right in the middle of the fire, right in the middle of the circumstances that they would have been trying to figure out what's going to happen if I find myself in this scenario? What's going to happen if all of a sudden the very thing that I'm afraid of, anxious about, worried about actually happens and then it did? And God was there with them. They were able to walk around in the very circumstances that they were probably hoping to avoid and the very circumstance that seemed like it was going to engulf them, take care of them, wipe them out, and they found themselves, actually, God's with me. I'm able to navigate this because I'm with him. Have you ever found yourself worried about something? Have you ever been afraid of the fire the diagnosis. I really, really hope this pain isn't. I really, really hope this isn't. I really, really. You ever 
found yourselves afraid of the fire and I thought I was secure in my job, but all of a sudden it feels like I'm about to be let go and I didn't realize that that was so, and I didn't think that, you ever been afraid of the fire and you look ahead at the economy and you're like, I thought I kind of had things squared away, but my business, my job, my 401k, my, I thought I finally got a raise, but now inflation seems to be ahead of that. And I'm, I, you ever been afraid of the fire that seems so imminent right in front of you and you don't know what you're going to do if you're thrown into it? You ever feel like you can't protect someone that you love? You'd be so glad. You'd, you'd take the diagnosis for them in a heartbeat. If you could take the abuse for them, you would. If you could, but there, it just doesn't seem no matter what you do, no matter what you say, you can't take that from them. Have you ever felt like the future you were planning just seems to dissipate right in front of your eyes? Like, I thought for sure that that's what life was going to look like, and now it seems to be stripped away. There can be so many things to worry about, some massive and some small. Because sometimes it's simply, I don't know what I'm going to do today. But here's the beauty of approaching those fires, is that God cares about all of them. And it's not because he cares about every circumstance, it's not because he cares about every scenario, it's because he cares for you. He loves you. He cares for you. And he wants to meet you in the middle of that trouble. Okay, so let's go ahead and flip over if you're with me. And now we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we've been kind of hovering in this series. And so we're going to figure out what does Jesus have to say about this. So Matthew 6, follow along on our app. Uh, if you have a Bible, open up there. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. So catch us afterward. But Matthew 6, Jesus says this. And we actually ended with this verse last week. He says, no one can serve two masters. For you hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. Jesus is trying to help us see here that if we're going to have a relationship with God, and that's the key, then we can't keep putting our trust in other things. If we're going to keep putting our trust in things that fail us, in, in things that actually continue to mess with us, in things that aren't trustworthy, it's going to be very hard for us to say, God, I, I, I trust you, I see you working, and at the same time, reaching over here says, but just in case, I'm going to run after this thing that has never proven itself to be trustworthy. You see, what Jesus is trying to illustrate for us is that we have to shift. We have to shift our trust from these other things. Because if it's money, money lets us down. We don't get to make money the way that we always thought forever and ever and ever, and the market lets us down, and all these things don't happen, and when we die, that's gone anyway, and so money lets us down. It might be family. Family lets us down. The people that you love most even if their track record is mostly good, they disappoint us, they hurt us, they, they say things that, man, that just cuts to the core. Why would you say that? Why would you not say that? How can you not acknowledge? And then family blows up and that person moves away or that thing happens. And you're like, I thought that I was going to be able to lean into you forever. We lose a loved one. I thought that it's not the family's not good. It's just, can we trust and put all of our hope in it? 
put our hope in political leaders, if we could just get the right people in the seats and the place and the, and the thing, and if that guy could be sitting in that big white house, and if this could happen, if, and if this would just, if we could just change this, and if we could just, I don't know if you've noticed, but trusting in politics doesn't get us very far. I don't mean to be cynical, but let's not run after that. Let's instead not serve two masters. Let's run after who Jesus is. And, and then it doesn't have to be that big either because we also can't trust other drivers. My guess is if you've ever been in a fender bender, no matter what the cops said, it wasn't your fault. I don't trust them. They messed up. They backed into me. I know I was driving behind them on the road, sir. I know you said I rear-ended them, but I promise. I saw the reverse lights for a second, and they backed into If we're trusting everything else that's untrustworthy, it's no wonder that we find ourselves worrying. I get worried when I'm behind the wheel of the car, or I'm worried when someone else is driving me, or I'm worried when I hand the keys over to this person that's only had a little bit of driver's ed. And I'm worried, not because of you, you probably drive great. I'm worried because everyone else out there if we continue to put our trust into the things that are volatile, then we're going to find ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper into some version of worry or anxiety. But if we can serve God, if we can run after him, Jesus continues. He says, this, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Sometimes we worry about these little things. Sometimes it's big things. But sometimes I feel like when we worry, we feel like we're making progress in that thing. Some of you all have been so worried about whether or not the Browns will ever have a good season and you pretend like that's going to actually advance things. You know what I would do if I was coach? You know what I would do if I had that jawline? What I would do is I would probably make this recommendation. You know what I would do? I can't believe all this. And, and we just, we concern ourselves with it and we worry about it. And we try to, and then we sit there and we're like stressed out. And we wonder if the, and I love football. I'm like confessing here a little bit. Like, it's just like. But we worry about those little things, or we worry about things like, is our favorite band ever going to come out with that new song or drop that new album? Are we ever going to be able to hear them? Are they going to have the reunion tour? Because it would be just so great if I could just, and we'll get like concerned about, or for instance, sometimes we worry about other people. And I don't know, many of you know, some of you might not know, our senior pastor, Jeff, is on sabbatical right now. And uh, love that our leaders have given him some time of rest. It's been great for him. It's awesome. Uh, He'll be back here in a couple of weeks. He's looking forward to being back. Um, But I'm getting concerned about him. I'm a little bit worried, if I'll be honest. Because if you know Jeff at all, there's a few things that he doesn't like. Uh, One of them is a state and a team that begins with the letter M. Uh, He is not real a big fan of them. You know, he is Buckeyes for life. And another thing that he has always said that he hated, always a, a, a demonic creature of ill repute are cats. That doesn't bother me. What worries me is this. This is not photoshopped. This is real. This is recent. This is like a week ago. Pray for this man. Like, 
something is happening in his head, and I just don't understand how he could be doing these things with a cat. Like, how? Whew. Some things are worth worrying about. Uh, <laughs> but whatever that worry is, God is meeting us, and God is meeting Jeff in this moment, right? And walking him through the fires of closeness with a cat. But here's what Jesus is saying. No matter how small the worries are, no matter how big they might be, you are of great value to your father. You are. He's like, look at the birds and look how well they're taken of. Look, look, look at how that, you, aren't you far more valuable than they are? My brother Growing up, when he was like four or five years old, he had this uh, shirt that he loved. It was like one of those sweatshirts where like the arms are cut off, you know, but then it had a different sweatshirt's sleeves like sewn back up into it. It was like a different color, right? And then it said awesome across it in like script, right? And I don't know if it's just because it said awesome or what, but my brother loved that shirt. Like if it was 90 degrees in the summertime, he's on a bike ride, he's wearing his awesome shirt. Like if it was in sight, in reach, he was wearing that shirt no matter what. And it was gross, it was like stained, and I think it had a hole in the side. I mean, it was just like, but any time, it didn't matter if it was stained, he would wear that shirt because he loved that shirt. We're like, Vinny, yeah, we're Italian. We're like, Vinny, you, you need a different shirt. Wear a different shirt. It's hot outside. That one's gross. He's like, no, no, no. I want to wear my awesome shirt. And no matter what we told him, no matter what we pitched to him, he knew, he goes, this shirt is so valuable to me. I want to wear it whenever I can. Some of you feel like you are messed up and beat up and you got a hole in the side and you got stains on your life and you're not really sure. And then you got people telling you like you're not worth much and then the circumstances aren't playing out that. And so it seems like life is just kind of beating you up and I'm not really sure I'm that valuable and I'm not really sure. And what I want to tell you right now, if you get nothing else out of this, you are valuable to God. He is the one that defines that. He breathed life into you. He gave you life. He wants to invite you to his table. He wants to be your heavenly father. He wants to show you that you can be his daughter or his son. And you, you can be connected to the creator of all things. He wants to save you and heal you and transform you. He loves you. You are so valuable to him. It doesn't matter what other people are saying. It doesn't matter if you feel like your life is stained and messed up. You are valuable to him. We see this throughout the scriptures over and over and over. In Romans 5, it says that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we had our act together, while we were thinking the right way, while we had the right worldview, while we had the right perspective on life and politics and we knew what to say and we knew the right way. We had the you know, life bull by its horns. That's when he died for us. No. He showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still 
throwing our fist up at God while we were still saying, I don't know if I want anything to do with you. God said you were so valuable. I will send my son as a special agent to make sure that you are perfectly and wonderfully taken care of, that you have a chance, at least a chance, to say yes to me and reform that relationship. That's how much you matter to me. Ephesians 2, it says God is so rich, so rich in his mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, he raised us from dead um, along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. So God can point to us as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and the kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. For we are God's masterpiece. Jesus says in Luke 12, he says, what's the price of five sparrows, two copper coins? Yet God doesn't forget a single one of them. The very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Over and over and over and over again, God is trying to communicate, I love you. You are valuable to me. I want to be with you. Will you answer yes and come be with me, your heavenly father? Jesus continues and he says, so why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing yet. Solomon in all his glory was not as dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Let's pause there for a second. As we've been navigating this whole passage, this whole thing where Jesus is saying, come relate to the Father. Let's be careful here and not read that one question transactionally. It is not God saying, why do you have so little faith? But instead saying, No, if if God is caring for the flowers, if God is caring for these birds, if you're being invited to see our God as Father, if you're being invited to the table, if he wants to spend one-on-one time with you, if he wants to engage you right where you're at, why do you have so little faith? Come here. So don't worry about these things saying, what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink or what will we wear? Jesus is trying to point to a God that loves us. He's not adding an 11th commandment that goes, don't worry. He's instead saying, when you have that connection to that God that sees that value, that worth in you, you don't need to worry. You have him. It's so important for us to realize that he cares for you. You're not just valuable. He actually cares about you. He actually cares about what you're going through. He cares where you're at in that very moment. And that's part of the wonder at why he continues to help us even when we feel like we're being thrown into the fire. And so one of the questions I think we should answer is this idea that, well, wait a minute then. Does that mean that worrying means that I don't have a healthy relationship with God? 
Because some of us, we feel like, I, I think I have a relationship with God. I, I think I'm connected with him, and yet I find myself as a person that worries. I find myself as a person that struggles with those types of things. And so does that mean that I don't have a good relationship with God? Well, I don't think necessarily that's what it means. Relationships progress. Relationships move from, from one thing to the next. As you figure one thing out, you kind of figure something else out. Once you figure out that you don't have to worry about where to squeeze the toothpaste, is it in the middle or is it in the end, just get two tubes of toothpaste. Once you figure out the simple solutions of that phase of life, well, then you can move to the next. And God continues to help grow us and give us different perspective and show us more and more why he's so trustworthy. For instance, in my life, for me, it's amazing how he's worked through so many things. So I remember just being absolutely bombarded with crippling fear of what it would be like to be tossed into hell growing up. Just nightmare after nightmare, worry after worry, anxiety after anxiety, and just being absolutely felt the weight of what if, what if, what if. And then about halfway between my 18th and 19th year, I felt like God finally settled that. He said, trust in me. I'm the one that handles that. Trust me. And for the first time in my life, I finally felt, felt this weight lifted. And for the rest of my being thus far, I'm like, I fully trust God with that. I remember one of the first things he started to mess with me about after I gave my life to Christ was my language right? Uh, sailors had nothing on me, if you catch the cliche, right? Like, I, my language was terrible, terrible. And I wasn't sure I wanted to give it up, because it felt natural, and it felt like when I was talking with friends or in the football locker room or whatever, it was just, this is how things work. I don't want to start talking like, but wouldn't you know it, eventually, I'm like, you know what, Lord, that's yours, and if you need to change things in the way that I talk, I can, I, I can give that up. You're, you're worth it. I remember one of those early things as well was anger. I was known to be pretty volatile. Matter of fact, I had that like Italian blood coursing through me, a little bit hot-headed, right? Just a little bit. Anything got under my skin, just really wanted to... And I remember when I met my now wife and we started dating, she heard from a couple of people, like, you better be careful. Joe's known as a hothead. And my wife was like... We've been dating for a while now. I would have said he's one of the most patient people I've ever met. It's Jesus helping me let go of things and helping me see, have a perspective. He's working in me. I remember, <laughs> I remember when I first stepped into marriage and I had all of these, marriage is going to be like this. And these are my expectations for how this relationship was going to go. And it's amazing how few of those check boxes got checked. Marriage was not like all the things I thought it would be. And then I remember fighting for it because I'm like, well, maybe I'm doing something wrong, so I'm going to go after those check boxes. I'm going to really try to make sure that these are the things that are in my relationship. And I'm going to, and I, the, far, the, the harder I kept pushing for those check boxes to be checked, I felt like the more distant the two of us got. And so I finally realized, God, I'm, I've, I've been so worked up about this, the last thing I've done is actually hand it over to you. 
And when I finally stopped trying to control some of that, I felt like our relationship started to take that long curve back to feeling like, okay, maybe we're stumbling on something here because it's in the Lord's hands, not my own. I remember being pretty crippled with anxiety right before my daughter was born, panic attack after panic attack, pulling off to the side of the road, couldn't drive down the highway, just absolutely like, where is this coming from? And finally dove into that a bunch and realized a ton of it, not all of it, a ton of it was I'm mortal and I am now responsible for a child. What happens if I get in a car wreck and leave my child fatherless? What happens? I just all these scenarios kept running through my brain and that's why I would have these panic attacks in the middle of the office, in the middle, it didn't matter when and where, they would just sneak up on me. Is this the big one? And I remember one of the things that helped minimize that in my life was realizing that this little girl's not actually mine. That when God surveyed humanity, he looked at me and my wife for some reason and said, I want you to to build into, to invest into, and take care of my little girl. And once I realized that my daughter's in the Lord's hands, I'm like, okay. <laughs> One of the things I had to give up was my pretty strong political views. I don't know about you guys, but I know how things should work. Whenever I see the news report, whenever I see that tweet, whenever I see how things are going, I'm like, well, if you would just do this. You know, if I had the ear of all these congressmen and women, if I had the ear of the president, if I was the president, if I would do this, you know what, if we could just vote for and all these things, and it would just always have me so worked up as if somehow my worrying about it was making anything better. If anything, it was probably slowly leading me to an earlier death. It's about the only thing that my worry in those scenarios was achieving. Food was like the last thing I ever wanted to give to God. I mean, this is fun, right? This is like the acceptable thing to run and indulge on. So I can just pour myself into that, God. It's no big deal. And then realize that, no, God's like, no, I want, I want something different for you. Influence co-workers online? Are people listening to what we're saying? Are we making our friends and family better off or worse off when we say the things that we say? I'll be honest, I actually don't always like standing where I'm standing right now. I feel this weight that at least for some of you, the things that I say shape how you view God, and that's heavy. Because I feel like if I say that one thing that maybe you even heard incorrectly, I didn't even ask, that suddenly you're like, that right there, that's why I don't, that's why I'm not sure Jesus is for me, that's why I'm not, that is a weight. I haven't conquered this list. I don't swear much anymore. I don't blow up as much anymore, but I haven't conquered this list. These are just the things that progressionally, relationally, that God has helped me to slowly see, slowly own up to, and slowly give over. 
the more and more I realize that for some reason I am valuable to him and he cares for me in all of these things. So when Jesus is saying, don't worry, it's not an 11th commandment. It's understanding that God is slowly but surely performing spiritual surgery on us. That he is slowly transplanting the pieces of me that trust in all of these other things and he is slowly but surely removing this and replacing it with something life-giving where I actually realize I can trust God with that. I can run to him with that. I can go to, I don't have to lean into my ability to do public speaking. I don't have to lean into my ability to raise my daughter. I don't have to lean into all of these things that are under my control. Instead, I can realize that you are going to be with me in the middle of any and all of those fires. He's going to lead me to life. The other question that I felt like was huge was just simply asking, is worrying a sin? Is worrying a sin? And my guess is, as I look at many of you, that some of you might quickly say, yeah, I think it is. And some of you are like, well, no, it's not. And I, I want to slow down enough and say, I'm pretty sure it's not. It's an emotion and what we do with it is what's important. Because as a real quick illustration, Jesus was so worked up about going to the cross, he was sweating blood. Okay? He, he also knew so much that worry would be a thing that he knew, he's like, I need to address this, I need to show you that when this happens... But remember, this also isn't transactional, it's relational. So it's not just God saying, yes, you can worry, don't worry about it. And it's also not him saying, don't worry or else. What he is saying is what happens when you do. Because for instance, with my little girl, what I want more than anything with her is I want her to know she can come to me about anything. Anything. Because I highly value her and I love her and care for her more than, more than all of you. <laughs> I love her a lot. And I want her to be able to come to me with anything. And it does hurt when she doesn't. It's not that I suddenly love her less. But when I find out she only talked about that with a friend, when I find out that she only talked about that with grandma and grandpa, when I find out she only talked about that with a teacher, I'm glad she has those people in her life. I'm, I, I praise God for that. But I'm like, oh man, I wish you'd have come to me. God is inviting us to come to him about anything at any time. And it doesn't change your value to him. It doesn't change whether or not he cares for you. You're not going to surprise him. He knows what you need. He's inviting us in because he cares for you. Now Jesus continues and he says, so don't worry about tomorrow for Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Now, this is important. He doesn't say, don't worry about tomorrow because that's sinful. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. It'll bring its own things to worry about. 
today's trouble is enough for today. Let's not worry about how things are going to play out tomorrow. Let's not worry about 2023. Let's not worry about the next election. Let's not worry about all that stuff that comes down our path. Let's worry about, let's concentrate on, let's stand with God in today's fire. In what today has for us. I think Jesus is trying to show us that worry and anxiety are normal. That's why he's addressing it, but We can lean into him. I think Jesus would clarify saying, I want you to learn to trust the heart of the Father more and more. Because no matter what the troubles of the day are, no matter what's coming down the pathway, no matter what you find yourself in the middle of, no matter what furnace you find yourself standing in the middle of, I'm there with you. And if I care about the birds and I care about the flowers and I value that you that much, I'm right there with you. It's about trust. It's not about worrying less. It's about learning how to trust more. And the only way to build more trust is to continue to connect with him. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. Now Jesus says again, he says these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Now, some of us, we read this transactionally, and we just read, these things dominate the thoughts of those sinful, rebellious heathen. I'm pretty sure what Jesus is pointing out here is that worry dominates those that don't know the Father. Because if you don't know the Father, that means the only thing you can put your hope in is all of this stuff that is completely volatile, that changes all the time, that is up and down, and one minute they're in a good mood, and one minute they're in a terrible mood, and one minute they love us more than anything, and one minute I'm pretty sure they want to break up, and one minute my money seems to be worth this, and another minute, and we're putting all of our hope and trust in that, and instead God's saying, hey, if that's where you're putting your trust, no wonder you're worrying all the time. That's going to dominate your thoughts. How can you trust in what happens when you get sick and when you die if you don't know what the Heavenly Father is going to do with you? If you don't trust in God, does my body just go back to dust? Did I do enough good things? Did I do a, and suddenly you're consumed and worried because it's up to you. How can we fully trust these circumstantial things are going to work if I don't know that God's there with me? How can I have a faith in that something's going to work out, everything happens for a reason, if I don't trust in anything that's actually making sure that that stuff comes together? No wonder I'm worried all the time. How can I, how can I trust in life that's obviously so up and down and back and forth and explosive if I don't lean into God? You see, trust doesn't work because the word trust is excellent or because we're good at trusting. Trusting in God works because of who we're trusting in. Or I said it this way, we trust because the person we trust is trustworthy and cares for us. God has proven himself over and over and over again about how much he cares and loves and is reaching out to be with us. And he's acknowledging our feelings 
about how hard this is. He's acknowledging that, yes, this is a mess. And he stands there beside you in the middle of it. And Jesus kind of closes out with this idea of what do we do to navigate the worry that's inevitably coming our way. And he says, well, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. Seek him. He's there. Walk and live with him. Let, let him show you how to navigate the fire. Let him show you how to navigate the pathway. Let him give you what you need. God isn't telling us that this is all going to just work out and all will just be fine and don't worry as long as you trust in me you won't go through anything bad and just trust me and you won't have to worry about it. He's not saying that. What, what he is saying is that he'll always be there. He'll always be there. He's not leaving you out to dry. He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't left you to the wolves, and it's the opposite. He's saying, I know how hard this is. Let me join in it with you. And I can hold you up. I can carry you. I can wrap my arm around you. And one way or another, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, one way or another, my God will deliver me. You will either rescue me from this furnace, or I'll finally be home with you. And I know that can sound bleak, but God's taking care of it either way. It's handled. It's done. And the connection with him is what's bringing us in even more closely. He sees you. He knows you. He has compassion for you. And he will never leave you. So when we ask ourselves, how do I relate to God when it comes to worry? I think it's as simple as the middle word. We just be there with him. We just relate with him. What we're looking for is transaction. Joe, give me the five best ways to stop worrying. Joe, show me the passage that promises I never have to be thrown into the furnace. It's not there. What is there is countless invitations to respond to your heavenly father and the promise that he will be there with you. I wrote it down like this. It's simply, I am better when I'm with God. No matter what fire I find myself in the middle of, no matter what situation is barreling down on me, I'm better with him. The disciples were communicating with Jesus in another place and they were telling Jesus how anxious they were and Jesus said, there's a time coming indeed, it's even starting to be here now when you're going to be scattered and each one of you is going to go their own way, you're going to leave me alone and yet I'm not alone because I'm with the Father. I've told you all of this so that you can have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. 
You might find yourself on one of the hardest levels of life you could ever possibly play, but God has all the cheat codes and knows how to get to the end of it all. And it may seem like everything is crashing down and everything is burning up around you or that you just don't trust anything, but God is there. We're better together. The band's gonna come out and they're gonna walk us through some songs that I, I want us to, to pour our worried and anxious hearts on him and not because we assume that in 10 minutes it's all gonna go away. But maybe because we're so thankful that we're not going through it alone. Maybe because maybe even for the first time that we realize that God sees it, knows it, and is working in you despite the heat of that furnace. Before we kind of respond in a time of song, I wonder if you would pray with me, but through, I want to read to you a psalm. I want to read to you some of the words, and, and what I want you to hear, what I pray that you resonate with, is God reassuring you not that everything will work out, not that everything's gonna be fine, not that you never have to go through pain, but that through Christ, he is always there with you. Would you um, put yourself in a position where you feel like you can focus on God the most? Close your eyes, bow your head, whatever helps you start to zero in and focus on Jesus, on God. And listen to the words of this psalm. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. Jesus, thank you for these words. Thank you for helping us realize that worry has a lot of normalcy to it, but also helping us see that no matter what fire we find ourselves trying to avoid or that we find ourselves in the middle of, there you are. It's the beauty of what you've done, Jesus. When you came here, it was to be with us. When you came here, it was to make a pathway to connect with our Heavenly Father that you would heal us from our sins, that in acknowledging that we can step into a relationship with you, you will begin to do that spiritual surgery on us and change us from the inside out and, and not necessarily make all the worry go away, but help us to slowly but surely trust in you more and more. God, meet us in this moment as we pray, as we respond to your call, as we respond to your invitation and to your promise that in Christ, you're here. Help us, Jesus. Thank you for put, having value and care for us.
Jesus' name we pray.